This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why do I think I'm here? <laughs> well, that's a really existential question that I don't think I was exactly prepared for, but okay. Let's see. Uh, I am a human person on this earth, and I think one of the reasons that I'm here is because I have such great friends. Like, not, not just like here to make friends, but I'm still here because I have such great friends who are always there for me. Previously in Greater Boston. Thank you, Vincenzo. Send her in. Charlotte! What happened to Melissa? She left to try and work for Isabel. So I thought it was time I finally gave her the closure she deserved. I'm Nikas Dematis. And this is The Hunt for Dimitri. Thank you for the truck, Modern and Mallory. Catch you later, Scentwipe. Unless I don't. Drop the ball! No, 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 no! Those cool. Running in character voice right now. All right. Malden. Red Dorchester. Somerville. This. Somerville. I've my whole life. Milton, Massachusetts. This is. This is. This is. Greater Boston. This week in Greater Boston, episode 30 Prosperity in the Meritocracy. Dimitri was alone again, as he had been for the past two years, once again stranded in a strange place, a stark metal cage, as though he were back in his submarine. He was cold. He was reluctant to run the engine with its limited fuel, and he was worried about the consequences of locals realizing he was there, living inside the abandoned vehicle. And he was hungry. He had no job, and the funds he'd socked away before he'd left on his trip were mostly depleted. The cost of airfare, the cost of replacing his lost identification documents, it ate up most of what he'd had left. The show hadn't even paid him yet. Now that he'd walked off set, he wasn't sure that they ever would. And he was lonely. Again. Dear Leon, I have spent so much of the past two years in isolation or among strangers with little opportunity for heartfelt communication. And now here I am, back home, and still isolated. I'm here, Dimitri. I know it's pointless to write this letter to you. You'll never read it, just as you never had an opportunity to read any of the letters I sent you from my journey. I read all of them. But it's habit. Writing to you is my best avenue for introspection. And so I... Who? Hey, that wife, open up. Oh, yes. 
I like this. This is good. Mallory, hey. You hungry? I got curry noodles. Thank you, Mallory. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of me. You'd it. think there'd be something to eat in a food truck, but everything was past date. I hope it's okay that I cleaned out the trash. Yeah, dude. No one's going to complain that you threw away the moldy turd fry sandwiches. What you up to? I caught up on the new Star Trek. Thanks for loaning me your login. It's really different. It took a little acclimating, but it's really good. Yeah, casting Michelle Yeoh as Andorian was kind of weird, but she's really killing it. Mm, this is delicious. Hey, pull up 7 News Boston Livestream. There we go. My boy Chucko's show is coming on. That's it. Your boy? Wait, your boy is Chuck Octagon. 7 News Boston's Chuck Octagon. Fuck yeah. He started the GoFundMe for my hospital bills. He and I are tight. All right. You don't believe me? No, I absolutely believe you. Trust me. There's nothing so unlikely that I can't believe it. The red line is a city. Molasses is terrorism. Everyone in Atlantis is dead. I can pretty much believe anything. Atlantis? Just for an example. Christ on the crapper, but I wish I could vote in this election. You don't live in Redline? Nah, I just go to school there. But I don't see tuition subsidies lasting long if that money-humping pure-blood toilet nugget gets elected. Bespin, right? She seems pretty awful. That's an understatement. What the fuck? Nika? Wait, you know Nika? Sure I know her. She's my stanky punk-ass former boss. Nika Stamatis. That's whose truck we're in right now. This is her truck. This truck. Dude, yeah. This truck that we are sitting in right now that I ended up in through pure serendipitous happenstance belongs to my sister, Nika Stamatis, who I've been searching for without luck ever since returning to Boston. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't know most of those details. I take it back. This is the line. This is where it gets too unlikely. Eh, weird shit happens. Anyway, now you know. What I don't get is how stoned as fuck shady ass food truck failure Nika Stamatis is now suddenly managing a mayoral campaign. Wait, back up. Do you know where my sister is? Do you know how to find her? Not anymore. Not since the Octobuckle. But if she's part of this campaign, she must have an office. I can find her. I, I know how to find her. Okay, yeah. No, I, I've gotta go. Hold up there, Captain Impulse. I'm pretty sure things have gone pretty earfuck sideways with Nika since the last time you saw her. Okay? I, I think you should be prepared for that. Okay. What do you mean? No, the hard part. Oh, fuck. What? Leon Stamatis. He's... he was my brother. Yeah. I just connected that. Fuck. Okay, so the first time I met Nika wasn't here. It was a few months earlier at my previous job. Okay. And I met your brother, too. Just the one time. At my job. Shit. How, how do I... Fuck it. Dimitri, I worked at Wonderland. I was there when your brother clocked out. I ran the roller coaster. I... I can't... You were there. You ran the Whirladon. It wasn't my fault, okay? They still fired me, but it wasn't me. It wasn't anything I did. Nika knew that, or she wouldn't have hired me here, okay? You get that? Yeah, I, uh... Fuck. Okay, so... 
About Nika. She was with him. I mean, you know that, but I don't know if you get it. She was sitting there next to him when he died. Like, just right there. Yeah? Wrote the whole thing with him like that. And that shit fucked her up. That's what she's been living with, okay? That's the short version. You want the long version, you can YouTube it. It's up there. That's how Chucko and I met. He interviewed me about Leon's death. Okay, so then, flash the fuck forward, and Nika's running this food truck. I go in for the interview not knowing what the shit, but she doesn't twist my nips about it. She's cool. Then I start working with her, and it's, it's not a good scene. Like, she barely does anything in the truck. She just sits up front getting fucked up all day while I handle all the shit witches. But there's one exception, yeah? There's this guy, calls himself, I shit you not, Dipshit. Dipshit Paletti. And the name fucking fits. But he's not there for Olive Garden fucking barf bombs. No, he orders off the secret menu. Tuna subs with extra celery. Fucking celery. Like, what the fuck is with that? But whatever. Anytime one of those orders comes in, that gets Nika up off her ass into the window. He's not really there for the sandwich. He's there with a delivery. These mysterious manila envelopes that he's hand-delivering to Nika. So then the octobuckle happens, right? And I'm there for that. That's why I was in the hospital. I got taken down by fucking baked beans, but fuck that shit, right? It's not stopping me. So, but then I see on the news who's turned himself in for involvement in all the dumb shit lottery prank attacks. Dipshit Celery Barf Paletti. He's in on the whole thing. So then I have to think, what was in those envelopes? And like, I don't know, maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just their little secret Santa porn exchange or something. But I have to think, Nico was probably involved. No way. She wouldn't. She, She's an artist. That's not a good defense. You weren't here. You don't know how she was. She was real fucked up. If you believe that, why haven't you turned her in? Yeah, I keep asking myself that. But whatever she was up to, I really don't think she meant it to go the way it did. I just keep thinking back to Wonderland. The look on her face, just sitting there alone in the car after they took your brother away. You kick a puppy enough times, eventually it learns to bite every time it sees feet. And Nika, she's a real kicked puppy, Dimitri. This doesn't change anything. I still need to go to her. More than ever. I know. But go in knowing, okay? It's gonna be harder than you think. But like, screw your courage to the sticking place or some shit, okay? You'll need it. So does she. Yes. Okay. Can I go now? Where are you going? To search for her. To find her office. Now I know it's gonna be somewhere in Redline. And you're just gonna stumblefuck around Redline hoping to fortuitously wander across it. Well, yeah. That's worked so far. You think so, huh? Look, how about I just call Chuck? He'll know where it is. Oh. Right. Okay, yeah. Let's do that. Since the dawn of time... All of humanity has been drawn to the unexplained, the uncanny, the unsolvable. Stonehenge, the Bermuda Triangle, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot, the identity of Jack the Ripper. Why do these mysteries haunt us and taunt us so? Why do so many of us stay up late into the night, obsessively poring over clues with nothing but blind hope that they will find the inexplicable riddles? Two weeks ago, my brother Dimitri and I located the missing mayor of the Red Line, Professor Paul Montgomery Chelmsworth. Moments later, Dimitri vanished from the site. I'm Nika Stamatis, 
and I'm searching for my brother. Excuse me, sir. I'm looking for Dimitri Stamatis, the man who found D.B. Cooper. Where in Greater Boston would you look for him? Oh, gosh. That's a question, isn't it? Where would a person hide in Greater Boston? Uh, I guess I'd probably go to Powderhouse Square. They got a thing up on the hill there. It's an old Powderhouse. I mean, that's why it's named that. You probably knew that. Sorry. Anyway, uh, the Powderhouse is still there, but it's kept locked up. I guess if I had to hide out, I'd try to get into there. You'd have to bring a bucket, though. There's, um, there's no plumbing. I mean, gosh, you know what I mean. Sorry. Excuse me, ma'am. I'm Nika Stamatis, and I'm looking for my brother. Have you seen this man? This man? Yet. This man is a stranger to me. Do you have any idea where he might be? This man is dangerous? No, not at all. If this is dangerous man, I can deal with him. I carry flashlight. Big, heavy flashlight like security guard. If I see this man, I debunker his head. <laughs> there will be brains all over the sidewalk. No more problem. <laughs> no, please don't debunker him. He's my television brother, not a criminal. I just want to find him. Oh, in that case, you should check hospitals. Someone goes missing, usually they are in hospital. Excuse me, sir. My name is Nikas Demotis, and I'm looking for my brother Dimitri. Have you seen this man? You're not Nika Stamatis. Yes, I'm Nika Stamatis of Inexplicable Riddles, and I'm hoping you can... No, you're not. I'm Chuck Octagon. I just met Nika Stamatis this morning. I interviewed her for my show, Profiles with Chuck Octagon. Don't you watch Profiles with Chuck Octagon? I'm not from around here. Clearly not. And also, clearly, you're impersonating Nika Stamatis. Badly. Not so much impersonating as portraying... On television? Someone's making a movie about Nika Stamatis? Already? Not exactly. Hold up, you said you spoke to her this morning, but isn't she, like, completely off the grid? I know for a fact that Dimitri Stamatis was doing his dandest to find her not two weeks ago and came up empty. If by off the grid you mean doing the circuit of local media to promote the major electoral candidate whose campaign she works for, then, yeah, she's off the grid. In that one particularly inaccurate sense of the term. Holy shit, well that's a wrench in the works. Green, cut the tape. We've got some shit to figure out. Mr. Octagon, is it? I'm Chuck Octagon. Well, Chuck Octagon, can we go somewhere and talk? I think maybe there's a wilder story here than either of us have been investigating so far. And maybe we should pool our resources. Just give me a half an hour. I'll buy the coffee. Free coffee? As much as you like. (laughs) I'm in. Philip West was bored. He was bored of all his video games. Bored of his three different video game systems. Bored of mastering the various video game online multiplayers. Bored of... owning all the... Noobs? With his customizable exclusive rocket launcher, Big Betsy. You stupid camping little noob. Trying to kill me with C4 like a butthurt coward. Eat it. He was bored of Netflix binging, Amazon ordering, Spotify streaming. He was bored of pizza. Pizza? How can one grow bored of pizza? His boredom even pushed him to try different ingredients, toppings he'd normally stay away from. Turned out he actually liked anchovies, but Hawaiian pizza did nothing for him. It wasn't the abomination many people made it out to be, but the flavor combination didn't impress him as much as he felt it should for such a supposedly controversial coupling. The damned leaky faucet. 
It was faint and loud at the same time, like how the train that ran down the road from his apartment was barely audible when it went down the tracks, but shook the foundation of his building all the same. He turned up the volume on the episode of Star Trek he was watching, his current binge fest. He'd torn through the new Discovery series shortly after his isolation, and enjoyed it so much, he'd decided to do a complete rewatch. There was a convention coming up he wished he could go to. He wished he could bring a date. He wished he could... Ugh, that stupid faucet. Philip West was bored of being stuck inside. He was tired of hearing that damn leaky faucet. So now he was reading about how to fix it. He was reading do-it-yourself internet articles and self-help books he'd ordered. He'd purchased wrenches online, too, delivered with same-day shipping, because the thought of waiting filled him with rage. Soon he would fix that faucet, and then things would be better. So he tried to fix it. He tried. And tried. And tried. To no avail. The sink was his life. The little beads of water were desperate to escape, slipping into the pipes with the hope of getting carried away in a great gush to some surging sewer, coursing towards some other place that wasn't cold and dark and narrow and still. But the beads would only collect and pool in a still little pond at the bottom of the garbage disposal. Oh, fuck this stupid grandiose metaphor. I need a new game. Something to distract myself with. Like, something that feels dangerous. Phil never thought he'd miss running jobs for his uncle in the tunnels so much. He looked for horror survival games with realistic graphics. Acid Bath Baptism 2 Soul Smacked. God of Death 5 Godageddon. Age of Murder Baby 4 The Rebirth. He looked for the latest immersive HD surround sound system. He didn't want to just play Murder Baby 4, he wanted to live Murder Baby 4. He stood there reading reviews and clicking links until he noticed his feet were wet. Shit! The sink was overflowing like a waterfall onto the floor and Phil's first impulse was to leap for the faucet. But he stopped himself at launch. The apartment's flooded. I can't stay here if it's flooded. I'll have to get someone to come and work on it. I'll need to get the floor redone. I'll need to get the pipes replaced. I'll need to get that fucking sink ripped the fuck out. That's the only answer. The only remaining question was where to go. I'll keep moving. I'll bounce around. Hotels, motels, hostels. But he knew that wouldn't be enough. No matter where he went, there would be the brief thrill of transport, followed by the same sense of isolation. He needed a purpose. He needed something more than just... A game. Something new. That feels dangerous. Should he be worried about the authorities? For all he knew, they weren't even onto him yet. Which meant, for all he knew, he was holed up in his dumb little hiding spot for no good reason. So I'll leave them clues. I'll drop little hints and have them running in circles. But who? Who would he leave clues? (gasps) I can leave clues for Louisa! (sighs) Phil, you prick. I really miss hanging out with her, so this could be my way to tell her that. And maybe she misses me, too. She doesn't. Maybe. Maybe if she's good enough with my clues, she could eventually catch me. Maybe if she likes my little game, she'll eventually forgive some of the stuff I did. And then maybe we could continue to hang out. This just might be the saddest thing I have ever heard. Now, the only question is, what's my first move? And how do I let her know? That's it. Perfect. And such as it was... Phil thought up all the rules of his new dangerous game. 
you sad little ignoramus. Good evening, and welcome to Profiles with Chuck Octagon. I'm Chuck Octagon. Tonight, we profile two Redline Power Brokers, Melissa Weatherby and Nikas Thamatis, the campaign managers behind the remaining mayoral candidates. Profiles. Profile, verb, to describe a person or organization, especially a public figure, in a short article. Profiling, noun, the recording and analysis of a person's psychological and behavioral characteristics, so as to assess or predict their capabilities in a certain sphere, or to assist in identifying a particular subgroup of people. I'm sure you can see why this show is called Profiles with Chuck Octagon. Melissa, we'll begin with you. You have a degree in sociology from Smith College, spent several years after school in high-level admin work at various nonprofits, and until very recently, you were a personal assistant to acting mayor Charlotte Lindsay Coolidge. You have since taken over management of Isabel Powell's campaign. What motivated this transition? Well, Chuck, I... Charlotte was counting down the days. She knew Election Day wouldn't be the end of it. She'd still have that lame duck period to get through, the weeks between selecting the new mayor and seating her. But the pressure would be off. She could focus on the transition instead of on governing. In the meantime, she was still stuck getting her new assistant up to speed. Where is... I can't find anything anymore. Vincenzo, could you come in here a moment? Oh, right right away, Miss Mayor. Yes, Miss Mayor? She wasn't sure he was going to work out. I can't find the construction cost estimates for the Braintree ballpark. Powell and Bespin have both requested copies. Where'd you put that? Oh, that's filed under P. Yeah, here, here you go. Under P? For Pipe Dream. That's not an intuitive system. Ah, oh, sorry, Miss Mayor. I'll try to come up with something better. Just file it under Braintree Stadium. There's already a folder. Oh, sure. I guess that could work. But was it really worth replacing him? There were only a matter of weeks to go. And it's not like she was going to find another Melissa. Another overcompetent organizer happy to do the work of three people for low pay and a guarantee of near-term unemployment. Black Lives Matter is or should be controversial. It is a necessary step in our country's march towards racial justice. Founded and overseen by three extraordinary... Yeah, she's really doing good. No, Vincenzo would have to do for now. Yes, Vincenzo. Vincenzo, if you're talking, I can't hear you. You have to keep pressing the button. No, that's the buzzer button. You have to hold the intercom button. For God's sake, you did this correctly not two minutes ago. What the fuck happened? No, Vincenzo, just press the button once and hold it down until you're done talking. No, you know what? Never mind. I'm coming out. Vincenzo, do we seriously need to go over the support? Charlotte, salutations. I've been so looking forward to seeing you again. What? You? You're here? I cannot express how profoundly pleased I've been to see how magnificently you've matured into mayorship. Throughout my time in exile, I have kept close watch over the growth of our subterranean suburb, but always with complete confidence in your conscientious caretaking. Congratulations! Why are you here? Why now? Well, you see, I've given an interview recently, and I felt it would be inappropriate to allow you to see me on television prior to making a personal appearance in your offices. I wouldn't want you to think I had neglected the friendship we forged upon returning to the city. 
you've been back long enough to find time to give an interview, and this is the first I'm hearing of it? I didn't find time for an interview, so much as the time found me. What do you want, Chelmsworth? Why, only to congratulate you, of course. While I am certainly saddened to see you step aside from your seat of power, I do understand the compulsion to recognize one's accomplishments and move on. Move on? Move on? And I still owe you a congratulations on the birth of your son. I was certainly rather chuffed when I heard you've named him Montgomery. Don't talk about my son. I brought a gift for him. It's a wooden train. I didn't get the one with the face on it. I find those rather disquieting. Now you're congratulating me? Now you brought him a gift? It's been a year and a half. Is that too old for a wooden train? I confess, I'm not very familiar with how particular toys match up to particular ages of children. It's all quite esoteric to me. That's not the point! The point is, I don't want your damn wooden train. The point is, I don't want your congratulations. You shouldn't be congratulating me on my mayorship. I shouldn't have a mayorship. You should have been here doing your job for the city you created. You vanished. No explanation, no plan. You just left it all to me without any warning. And I wasn't even on my feet. I was in the hospital. I should have had all the time in the world to spend with my baby. But instead, I had to give it all, all that time, all that attention, all that thought to this city. The city you were supposed to be running. And now you just walk back in here with toys and congratulations like I'm supposed to be happy to see you? Why the hell would I be happy to see you? Because you're my friend. I've been looking forward to seeing you. We have so much to catch up on. Friends. Aren't we friends? Vincenzo, get the door, please. The professor is leaving. But... Chelmsworth, get the fuck off my red line. Mr. Chelmsworth? Professor. Professor. Yeah. I'll just leave the train. Here, why don't you take it? For me? For the baby. Right. Uh, bye. Is he gone? He left. Could you throw that away, please? Not in here, somewhere I don't have to see it again. Could I keep it instead? I literally would have no way of knowing the difference if you didn't ask me. Oh. That's true, I guess. Can I, though? Yes. You can keep the stupid toy train that stupid Chelmsworth abandoned in my stupid office. Knock yourself out. Have fun. Michael is unconscious. He has not woken up since he launched the crystal ball out the pneumatic tube. He's okay, I think. He's breathing. I have not absorbed him. I have not turned him into me. I hope. There is so much that Michael never considers. Memories he doesn't bother to revisit. All the times I helped him, all the times he was adrift and looked to me as his lighthouse, those moments are always in the forefront of his mind. His moments of dependency, his moments of need. He sees himself in those moments. Here is a moment he rarely thinks of. We are 27 years old and driving a rental car to a college friend's wedding. We are in the bridal party. We need to be on time. 
and our tire has gone flat. There is a spare in the trunk, but there is no tire iron. There is no jack. And neither of us has ever changed a tire. I have no idea what to do. No plan to fix this situation. A flat tire was not a possibility I had accounted for. It never factored into my planning. And now I am hyperventilating. Michael hands me a paper lunch bag. He keeps these on hand. For me. And then he gets out of the car and begins walking up the street, knocking on doors, one after the other. Not a moment's hesitation. Events have gone awry and he is already in motion. Hello. My car's got a flat and I don't have any tools. Can you help me? At the third door he knocks on, a woman loans him a jack. At the fifth, a man loans him a tire iron. He jogs back to the car with tools in hand and proceeds to teach himself their use. There are clues, bits of instruction impressed into the metal, knobs and sockets whose relationships he susses through simple shape sorting. No prior knowledge, no advanced preparation. He lifts the car, he removes the tire, he installs the spare. After he returns the tools to their owners, he tells me to shove over, to shift to the passenger seat. He drives the streets of Boston, circuitous detours and hidden alleys and one-way streets, a winding, irrational path that bypasses the traffic of Mass Ave, that is slowed by not a single traffic light. He has brought us miles out of our way, only to land us at the church ten minutes sooner than my own well-plotted ideal scenario had anticipated at the beginning of the day. And it was nothing to him. Everything fell to chaos, and he guided our way through it, like chaos is simply the water he swims, like, like Flipper rushing to the aid of a floundering diver. <sighs> there was the time the registrar misfiled my paperwork trapping me in a bureaucratic labyrinth. There was the time I sprained my ankle halfway down the slope we were skiing. Or... Or when he came to Wonderland to find Nika and brought her home and made her tea. Oh, ah. <sighs> These were the times I couldn't handle. These are the times I want Michael to remember. Wow, uh, my head. After sending the ball through the tube, Michael's head pounded. I've been doing this all wrong. Michael, Michael, Michael. He showed me. Michael. Myself. The day after I forced the ball through the tube, my head pounded. I sweat like crazy. My heart raced, and I ached all over. It was... It was like a hangover. I hadn't felt like that since Leon died, and that's probably not coincidence. My first instinct was to run right through the wall. Just force myself to sprint into it over and over again until I crashed through like a cartoon. Like the Kool-Aid guy. Who cares if I break bones from the fall, huh? 
I'd limp to that ball and recover it. Savor it. And that forced me to realize something really weird about myself. About... About my addictive personality. I cut out alcohol, and that was great. But I had grown dependent on someone. I had grown dependent on Leon. There were so many times I thought I was making choices and acting in my own self-interest that were just... Him. Guiding me. Helping me. From that ball. Or whatever he was. And suddenly, that reframed this entire isolation I found myself in. It helped me realize why I was trapped up there. I was up there for a reason. For a purpose. I'd never be able to shake off my connection to Leon. I wouldn't want that even if it were an option. Even if I could perform some kind of psychic surgery or remove him from my brain, uh, my memories, my heart. But I need to grow into being my own self. I had to stop clinging to Leon as if he were some kind of possession. You know, like a crystal ball. And I needed to be me. Michael. And the funny thing is, I wasn't entirely sure how to do that. But this isolation, it was here to show me the way. I'm not a biblical person, but it was my time to fast. Time for my 30 days in the desert. I was on my own. Finally. Greater Boston is written and produced by Alexander Danner and Jeff Andreessen, with recording and technical assistance from Mark Harmon. You can follow Greater Boston on Twitter at InGreaterBoston or on Tumblr at greaterblogston.tumblr.com. Follow us there for news, updates, and behind-the-scenes chat about the show. This episode featured Braden Lamb as Leon Stamatis, James Johnson as Dimitri Stamatis, Joanna Bodnick as Mallory, Jeff Andreessen as Chuck Octagon, Tanya Milojevic as Melissa Weatherby and Yelena, Kelly McCabe as Nika Stamatis, Kristen DiMercurio as Fake Nika, Michael Melia as Philip West, Summer Unson as Charlotte Windsor Coolidge, Chad Ellis as Vincenzo, James Capobianco as Professor Paul Montgomery Chelmsworth, and James Oliva as Michael Tate. With special appearance by Charles Gostin of the wonderful Iconography podcast, which is spending its second season digging into the deep history behind the best-known figures and landmarks of Boston and New England. Charlie on the MTA, performed by Emily Peterson and Dirk Teedy. Special thanks to our Patreon patrons Bridge Gein and Rasmus for their support. If you're interested in supporting Greater Boston and becoming a patron, please visit patreon.com backslash greaterboston. Free coffee? As much as you'd like. I'm in. <laughs> Chuck's such a cheapskate. I like this one aspect that Chuck and I are very much alike. Like, free coffee? I'll talk to you about Nika Samanas all day. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Sold! 
by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221 B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.